Thanks for listening to part three of The Church Mends the Church. The sermon is called Minding Neglected Widows, and it was originally preached on October 3rd, 2021 to City Church in downtown Iowa City. To get started, I just want to read a couple verses from the book of Acts to frame the message and frame what we're talking about today. If you are not familiar with the book of Acts, it is a book in the New Testament that tells the story of how the early church developed and got started after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And you could think of the book of Acts as referring to the acts of Jesus' disciples as they spread the gospel. Or you could think of the book of Acts as being about the acts of the Holy Spirit as it empowered the disciples to go out and share the message. But anyway, here are three verses from Acts chapter 4. If you want to follow along on a Bible version or U version app, you can. Um, otherwise, we'll have um, the words up here. This is a snapshot of the, of the early church. Acts 4, verses 33 through 35. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So in Jerusalem, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and preach the gospel to all the world. But before they did that, Jesus said, wait, wait, before you do that, wait for this gift that's coming from my Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was going to empower them to do what Jesus told them to do. The Holy Spirit was going to move in the hearts of people who heard the gospel message so that they would know that it was true when they heard it. And in Jerusalem in the first century, in a span of a very short time, there were mass conversions, thousands of people coming to faith uh, in the same day to follow Jesus. And then on the other days, when it wasn't thousands of people, there were still more people being added to the church every day. And something really unique began to happen in this early church. Um, people who had been formerly disconnected from each other, formerly minding their own business, looking out for the interests of their own families, suddenly became community-minded in a way that they had never been before. So the body of Christ, that was the early church spontaneously and organically, began to care for its poor members by liquidating assets <clears throat> and donating the funds. <clears throat> Excuse me. So those who were rich, who had lots of houses and lots of land, they sold those and they brought their money to the disciples so they could distribute it to the poor and the needy. And the result of all this was that there were no poor and there were no needy in the church because everybody's needs were met by the church community. Uh, this chapter that we read, Acts chapter 4, it just reveals a church community whose behavior is operating in line with this new good news of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, that God cares about the brokenhearted, that God cares for the poor as much as for anybody else, and that God has a heart of justice and a heart to give dignity to the lowly. They were living out this good news in action with strength and vitality. Now, we don't always see models of the church of Jesus Christ that looks like this, right? And in fact, in the last few weeks, I've been talking about the ways in which the church of Jesus Christ does not always look like this, um, does not always look like it's living out the good news of the gospel with strength and vitality. 
And we've talked a little bit about the broken places in the body of Christ. And when I say the body of Christ, I just mean the church worldwide, the the collection of those who follow Jesus and are part of his uh, family. We've been talking about wounds in the body of Christ, harm done to the body of Christ by its own members who are not living out the good news of the gospel in their conduct. And specifically, we've been talking about wounds that are caused by the failure of Christian leaders and Christian communities, uh, Christian ministries, where there might be toxic cultures or where gossip and rejection reign or where sexism and racism are evident. And the evidence for all of these failures, I'm talking about, you guys uh, have encountered it. Uh, Any kind of media that exists now is telling the story of, of the wounds that people experience in the church. But I, I feel like in the last six months, at least for the, the things I have my ear open to, I feel like the, the noise and the cries of that has gotten even louder. Like it's crescendoing right now. Um, the, the voices of people who have been wounded in the church, by the church. Um, but if you go to our City Church social media account, you'll see that I actually gave the sermon series kind of a positive message, despite the fact that we're talking about the wounds of the church. And I did that because I, I do think there's abundant hope that the Church of Jesus Christ will be and still is a light to the world. And for two reasons. One, we I do see those throughout the world who are true followers of Christ, bearing fruit, living in accordance with the good news of the gospel. So it is happening. Uh, And then two, because scripture tells us Jesus is going to return to a church that doesn't have any stains of racism or sexism, um, that doesn't have any wrinkles of jealousy and gossip and greed and backbiting, uh, that his plan is to have a church without spot or wrinkle, and he's tending to the maturity of his church and the health of his church so that when he returns, we won't be carrying around all this baggage and that wounds will be healed. I don't know how Jesus is going to do it, but that is his plan. That's the, the plan that scripture tells us. And we know that just as the church is in process, it's made up of people who are in process. We're, we're all on a journey, right, of becoming more like Christ. We're, we all weren't born like Jesus. Even when we became born again as Christians, we didn't become exactly like Jesus in our conduct. So I named our series... The church mends the church. So we could talk about and, and look at scripture, the story of the early church, to see the ways in which the body of Christ can heal and recover and how its members can work as agents of healing to soothe and to bind up the, the wounds of those in the body of Christ who've been hurt. So this may come as a surprise to some of you, um, but the failure of Christian communities and Christian leaders and Christian ministries uh, is not new. It didn't start with American Christianity. I know if you were here last week or week before, you heard me say this too. Um, but the failure of Christian ministries and leaders and communities is actually uh, as old as the church itself. It is almost as old as Acts chapter 4, which we just read. Uh, this chapter that revealed this beautiful picture of the church being a light to the world, showing this dog-eat-dog culture, what it looks like to love one's neighbor as oneself. Um, However, by the time the gospel writer Luke gets to what we call chapter 6 of the book of Acts, uh, we've seen the first failure of Christian community. I would argue it's the first failure and the failure of its leaders. Um, But but we also see in Acts chapter 6 how the church community and its leaders mend the wounds that are created. And this is really important for us. To pay attention to because if we're followers of Jesus 
and members of his body, then we each have a role in the healing process, just as members of the early church had a role, just as many parts of my body and your body have a role in the healing process on a wound that might be in one little specific spot on the body. So I want to jump into Acts chapter 6 and see how people in this precious and beautiful new community failed some of its own members, but then was able to mend the wound. Okay, so this is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. We'll kind of walk through, but we'll just read the first verse um, to start out. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So before we keep reading, I just want to point out there were two different groups being referred to here in the early church, the Hebrews and the Hellenists. And the widows of these two groups had been receiving a daily distribution of food or bread or financial support in order to buy food. The Hebrews and the Hellenists were both part of the church. They were both considered Jewish Christians, but the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, and they were intellectually and socially more oriented toward Greek life and culture, uh, more oriented to Greek culture than to Hebrew culture, which is traditional Jewish culture. And it's possible that some of these Hellenist Jews actually weren't even born Jewish. They could have been Gentiles who converted to Judaism at some point before they became Christians. So from the start, Hellenist Jews in this context, they were a minority. They were probably regarded with a little bit of suspicion by the Hebrews and it, because they just simply didn't follow the Jewish customs and the traditions in the same way. So what's happened here is that the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, rise up in complaint against the Hebraic Jews and the leadership, the apostles, and they say, hey, you are neglecting our widows, the Hellenist widows, but you're privileging and giving to the Hebrew widows. So church has gotten bigger, right? And while a short time ago there was no one in need and everybody's needs were being met, somehow a crack in the system occurred. And this was a group that got neglected. Now, some translations say they were overlooked. Other translations say they were discriminated against. Either is plausible. And in either case, it's also a classic story that we all know of a majority discriminating against a minority or a majority group having an unconscious bias and disadvantaging a minority group. Um, either way, the neglect of these widows is doing harm, not just to the widows, but it's doing harm to the entire church community because it's disrupting their unity. There's a wound here. There's trouble in River City. Like if you watch The Music Man, there's trouble. There are factions forming because the full church community is no longer acting in accordance with the truth of the gospel. So let's keep reading this. Verse 2. And the 12, I'm going to turn this off because I'm getting a lot of notifications. All right. Um, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the apostles hear the complaint. They know it's valid, and it needs to be addressed with a system change and the right leaders to put in place 
they also know they're not the ones who are going to be able to administrate all of this because they have been commissioned to keep preaching the gospel to unreached people. So let's keep reading in verse 5. And what they said, what the apostles said, pleased the whole gathering, pleased all of the disciples. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So we see the whole church community here, the Hebrews and the Hellenists, they all can now see that there is a problem. And they come together at the invitation of the, the 12 apostles to make sure that this neglect no longer happens. And they do that by agreeing together on who the leaders are going to be. And it turns out that they appoint a group of men, uh, most of whom are Hellenists, actually. Probably five out, of, uh, five out of the seven. I think there were seven, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, uh, yeah seven. Okay. So I think five out of the seven are Greek-speaking Jews. They are Hellenists. Um, and that, you know, suggests that they, they recognize that in order to heal the wound here, they, they need to put in place leaders who will be connected to that marginalized group, um, who speak their language. Um, the Hellenist widows are being neglected, so the church puts in charge a team of mostly Hellenist leaders uh, to make sure that they are not going to fall through the cracks again. And of course, like the main criteria for their leadership needs to be they're full of the Holy Spirit, they're full of wisdom, they're people of integrity and faith. Um, and then the congregation presents them to the 12 apostles who lay their hands on them and pray. Now, if you've never heard that phrase, like lay their hands on them, it kind of reminds me of like, just wait till I get my hands on you, you know? So this is not like, this is not like a violent situation where the apostles lay their hands on them. Um, but no, we see like laying on of hands in scripture um, when something spiritual is happening, where it seems like there's some kind of like impartation um, of the Holy Spirit. And in this case, the apostles are praying for these new leaders to lead this ministry and impart to them in some way like, an authority in the Holy Spirit, an authority in God's church to do just that, to administrate this food program. And they take it really seriously, right? Um, and then Luke, the gospel writer and the writer of Acts, he gives us this nice, tidy ending to this episode by saying in verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So in other words, episode over, like Donna Reed's show has resolved, like everybody's happy at the end and hugging it out, right? Crisis averted, wounds are on the mend, and the gospel continues to go out, and the church continues to grow. Um, honestly, this is a pretty amazing if you think about it because I don't know of any churches today that recover this quickly or like recover this simply when there is like a cultural divide or a racial divide so I mean props to the early church right and it's it's evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in their heart that they can all come together and be unified um, this story about the early church though it suggests to me that all the members of Christ's body actually had a part to play and have a part to play in mending the wounds of the body. 
And you know, our part might be different depending on who we are and what our circumstances are and who we're talking to. Um, in this case, in the early church, somebody had to cry out about the injustice. Somebody had to be the whistleblower, right? Whistleblower is kind of an intense word. Um, but somebody had to say that stuff, and that's not easy to do. Like, it's not always easy to say, hey, there's a problem over here. Hey, we're not going to be quiet, so you can't hear about it. Uh, we may find ourselves in a local church context or in any context in the body of Christ where we may need to be prepared to speak up for the sake of the dignity of someone else in the church who's being overlooked or to whom an injustice is being done. And I want you guys to think a little bit more broadly than just city church this morning, but we are a part of the global church, right? And there are times when we may need to actually contribute to the cry of complaint about injustice. And that is a part that the body plays in mending wounds. Um, when George Floyd was murdered in 2020, there was a renewal of conversation uh, about racism and police brutality, but there was also a renewal of conversation about the voices of black leaders in the American church who uh, had experienced marginalization, who had not felt heard or valued or simply overlooked. And in the last year and a half, as a white female male, male pastor, I've heard more of that conversation um, and, and more of a crescendo of the issues surrounding race, even within the church. Those who are calling out about this have an important role in mending the wound. And in mending wounds of the church, not only do you need people who are going to cry out and be whistleblowers and identify injustice, but you also need members in the church who will listen. You need members in the church who will validate the need and propose a plan of action. That's how the disciples functioned here. They listened. They validated the need. They saw it. And each of us may be in a position to listen. That is super easy, and you're probably going to be in that role at some point. Um, you might be in a position to validate the experience of somebody else, a, a need you may even be in a position to propose a plan of action or even suggest to that person a plan of action for what, could, for what could be done. Even if you don't see yourself as a leader, all of us, I think, could be prepared to play these roles. God may bring certain things within your sphere of influence that are not within the influence of anyone else. And there may be an individual that um, he brings into your life so that you can function as a healing agent in the church. And then finally, so we have like whistleblowers and we have people who listen and validate and help make plans to fix systems. But finally, it took the entire church coming together in unity to implement this plan. So at any point, factionalism could have reared its head. I mean, the Hebrews could have coughed an attitude about this. Um, the Hellenists could have clung to their offenses. But literally everyone, every one of the disciples that came together um, willingly took part in this process of fixing the problem. They laid down their offenses, they forgave, uh, and they played their part. And I think healing in the body of Christ, it requires so many of these healing agents. Not usually just one, but many of these aspects um, it requires those who are identifiers and denouncers of injustice. 
It requires those who listen and act and use their influence. It requires those who can help others gather and be unified and impart vision for what health and healing can look like. And it takes the unity of everyone, really, to implement a healing course of action. Now, City Church is small. We don't have a food distribution plan, although we are able to contribute to some of the city services that do give out uh, to, to those in need throughout our city. Um, so we have to think a little bit broader. You know, we can't just apply this to, you know, food distribution, right? Um, there are some wounds in the body of Christ that don't happen publicly, right? Um, sometimes there are wounds that are created not because there's an unjust system, but simply because there is sin of another person, um, or simply because of the ignorance or the blindness or the unconscious bias of people in control. Um, friends of mine who are, mar- are not married and who are single tell me that it's hard to be single and be part of the church. Has anyone heard that or experienced that? Um, and no injustice has necessarily been done that they're identifying, but many of my single friends have talked about feeling unseen or overlooked because families and married couples seem to invite families and married couples to do things. And uh, churches tend to create programming that's family-specific or might segregate married people from single people. Um, But my single friends say that to be healthy in the family of God, they actually need to feel like they're included in families, that they're interacting and acting as brothers and sisters and spiritual moms and dads and spiritual sons and daughters with married people and single people and grandparents and children in a multi-generational context. It can be really lonely to be single in the American church today. And the habits and patterns of American Christianity and focusing ministry, you know, a little bit more on traditional family structures is that people get overlooked. There's isolation that comes into play. And, and it's not the heart of God. And I'm just giving you guys an example of how this can work, how wounds can happen, even if it's not an unjust system. Um, the church uh, is meant to be a family. And scripture, one of the beautiful things scripture says is that God sets the lonely in families, that that is God's heart, um, to surround people with these kinds of rich and textured relationships. So um, we can keep our eyes and ears open. I think a lot of you can probably call to mind right now other groups of people who've been wounded in church, maybe minority groups, whether it's marital status or it's, uh, it's race or sex or uh, whatever, you guys can probably think about these things. And if you're on social media, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but I want to take a moment, just kind of have a, a moment to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. I really believe God speaks spirit to spirit to us. And so I want to ask you to just close your eyes for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to show you a person. Um, or it could be a, a group of people who have been wounded by Christian community or wounded by the failure of a Christian leader. And if you think about that person, if the Holy Spirit shows you somebody that comes to mind, will you just look up at me? And 
seeing a lot of open eyes right now. So we, we know people, right? Okay, so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes again. And let's just ask, Holy Spirit, will you show each person in the room how it is that you have formed them to be a healing agent of your body? Just dialogue for a minute with the Holy Spirit. How has he made you to be a healing agent in your body, in the body of Christ? Maybe you're an agent of healing who listens or validates or keeps company with or speaks up for, I don't know, but the Holy Spirit knows. And then you can just keep your eyes closed for a minute more. Um, Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, well, I'm the one who's actually been wounded and disappointed and hurt. Maybe you need somebody in the family of God to come alongside you and listen to more of your story or validate more of your story or or help you figure out how to heal. Um, And if that's you, I would love to pray for you while keeping you anonymous in this group. But if you want, you can lift your hand up And I would love to follow up with you and offer to listen uh, and offer to pray. But you can just pop your hand up if that's you this morning. Okay. All right. You guys can open your eyes, but I'm also going to pray for all of us right now and the people that came to mind. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence in this room. I thank you that you are an amazing gift from the Father to lead us and teach us how to be in community with one another and how to truly live the gospel in action. Being a light to the world by being unified with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also by being healing agents. I lift up every single person who came to mind this morning. We all know people who've been rejected by the church. We know people who've been wounded because the name of Jesus has been used to condemn them or scare them. We know people who have carried burdens in church communities of rules and expectations that are heavy, heavy, heavy. Lord, we lift up each one of those people who has a name and has a life story, and we pray that you would surround them with the healing members of your church. And I ask for each one in this room, Lord, who has asked the question, Lord, how have you made me to be a healing agent in this season? How have you made me to be an agent for healing in this person's life? Lord, I pray that you would show us as we move forward from this moment that we would have opportunities to speak up for, to listen, to validate, to propose a plan of action if needed. Uh, And that, Lord, you would also give us hearts of unity and, and humble hearts, too, so that when we do see the error of a system we're part of or a community we've been part of, that we can humbly lay down our pride, we can humbly lay down our offenses, we can humbly lay down the bias that other people point out in us for the sake of the cross, for the sake of 
of your church and the unity that you long for us to have. We pray all these things in your name.